right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Shock Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN. We're your original home for the Hawks here, and you can hear the game tomorrow. Pre-game will start at 1 o'clock with the Crimson and Blue Show for KU at Oklahoma State. The kickoff will be at 2.30 for the Jayhawks and the Cowboys here on KLWN. Guess what? We also got City Showdown action tonight. Lawrence High Free State should be an awesome game. Lawrence High comes in at 4-2, and two, one of their losses to the number one team in 6A in Gardner. And then uh, their uh, counterpart, Free State, in this game comes in at 6-0 and oh in the season. So uh, always a fun one whenever the two Lawrence schools square up. And on top of it, both teams very good. You'll be able to hear that game. I'll be on the call with Craig Hershiser at 7 o'clock here on KLWN. And you can watch our video stream paired with our audio feed at klwn.com for that game. We're going to be talking plenty KU Oklahoma State throughout the show today. We've got our Chiefs recap. We, uh, we'll get to our game picks and uh, our KU players to watch, KU game picks and everything. We've also got a couple guests joining us on today's show. Parker Fleming of College Football Graphs is uh, going to talk to us about some, uh, I, don't, I don't know, some more analytic numbers. And, and uh, if you like getting in the weeds with some of the numbers, that, that'll be fun with Parker coming up at 340 here. And then Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports is going to join the show to give some of his game picks for the weekend at 430 here. RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. I am Derek Johnson, and I am solo today. No Nick Springer. He is uh, getting down to Stillwater. So if you see him out and about, then, uh, I don't know, make him buy you a drink or something like that. Uh, but KU was picked first in the Big 12 media preseason poll today, and that's about all the KU basketball that we're going to be talking today. No disrespect there. One that was expected, too. It's a big game for KU football. This is their last game before the bye week. And then after the bye week, you have your home stretch, final five games, homecoming with Oklahoma. This is a chance to get bowl eligible. This is a chance to really stamp some momentum headed into that bye week. So how important is this game for KUK State? I don't think it's as important as the UCF game was last week. Um, we went into, you know, a couple weeks ago, the, the game against Texas. We kind of said that it's kind of a mild game of importance because if you won the game, it was like the most important thing in the world because of what it would have meant. But if you lost the game, it wasn't of huge importance because that's kind of the expectation. Well, last week, because of how you lost versus Texas, we said it was a high level of importance against UCF. You know, you you wanted to both prove that you could win with Jason Bean. You wanted to beat another team that maybe you viewed around the same tier as yourself in the Big 12. Obviously, you you more than did that. You, You smashed them in the process. And now this week... I, I, I think the importance is a little bit lower because if, if you would have said that you're going to go 5-2 and two into the bye week before the season or maybe after the Texas game, if you said you were going to go 1-1 one and one over the next two, I, I think those things would have both been doable. But now that it's here, now that it's in front of you, it does feel like a very winnable game. And it, it's almost in the same vein as the Texas game in, in one way that a win in this game, I think, does so much more positively for you 
than the inverse. Like a win, hypothetically, is plus 10. A loss is maybe minus 3. I'm just throwing random numbers out there from a standpoint to say, like, the win does more for you than a loss does negatively, if that sort of makes sense. Because, again, if you lose this game, you can still, I mean, you still have five games to get bowl eligible. You still have a lot of games to win more games than you did a year ago, right? It's a road game. Oklahoma State just beat Kansas State a week ago. But if you win the game, you're bowl eligible. The final five games are your kind of cherry on top games. And on top of that, you can start convincing yourself if, um, you know, going into the Oklahoma week that if you win that game, all of a sudden you're a Big 12 title contender, right? That's what this game kind of takes you. This game kind of takes you to the next level. This game, to me, cements my view of Kansas as being a top three team in the Big 12. Oklahoma and Texas feels like they're up on their their kind of own echelon uh, somewhere in the conference. There's a conversation who the third best team in the Big 12 is, and, and right now it might be Kansas anyway. You know, Kansas State already has a couple losses. Losing to Oklahoma State last week. If you beat Oklahoma State, that certainly make you feel like you have a, a common win there uh, or, or a, a common game that you won. Um, West Virginia was in the conversation. They lose last night on, on a crazy Hail Mary to Houston. Like, TCU is not nearly as good. UCF, we've seen that. BYU, Kansas already beat them. You can already make the argument that Kansas is the third best team in the Big 12. But I think if you win this game, the argument becomes a lot more clear. And if you win this game... This, to me, feels like the type of game you win in a season where you win eight or nine games. You lose this game, still probably going to make a bowl game, still probably going to win more games than you did a season ago. But that is the importance of this game to me. It's further proving that you can do it. And we've seen Kansas prove it over some of the teams that you view to be maybe lower than them, like UCF or BYU or around the same tier with some of those teams in the Big 12 or a team lower than them like Illinois, who are Power 5 teams that they've, they've shown to be just much better than uh, in, in a couple of those cases. We've seen them prove that, but we haven't seen Kansas have to prove it on the road. And that's a whole nother distinction. Obviously, Kansas went on the road earlier this year in Nevada and got a win, but that was one of KU's shakier, if not their shakiest games of the season. You know, uh, obviously the Texas game didn't go well, right? Maybe that's their shakiest game, but given the competition, I I don't know, I'd I'd probably argue Nevada. You want to see this team do well on the road, and uh, that, that's going to be so important down the stretch here when you view at Oklahoma State, at Iowa State, and at Cincinnati, your three remaining Big 12 road games. It, it's kind of hard. I mean, we haven't seen Kansas win two Big 12 road games in a season since the Orange Bowl season. So it's hard for me to be like, okay, now all of a sudden it's going to happen. Now, maybe if it is a special year, that sort of thing happens, but I, I guess my point is there. Almost the expectation I view is like, okay, you could go one and two on those three road games. If you win this game, it's going to feel a little bit more likely that you could go two and one or three and oh. So that's where this game matters. It, it, this game is the type of game to me that is really the determining factor of a season in which you would have that special year, that year where maybe you end the season ranked versus just another solid good bowl year. And either one is going to be important for this program, is going to keep the line moving forward, but that is the importance of this game. Now, what scares you most about what Oklahoma State does well? I think lately it's the running game. We've seen so many years under Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State that obviously they've had explosive offenses. And whether it was the quarterback, you know, you you go back to Brandon Whedon, Zach Taylor. uh, You look to to some of the recent guys like Spencer Sanders, the stud receivers they've had on the outside, Darius Bowman to Des Bryant and Justin Blackman. Um, 
you know, they, they've had, just, uh, Brian Haney said it yesterday, like it seems like every year they'd had the Bolitnikoff guy. But they've had a lot of great running backs in their time, too, too with uh, Mike Gundy. And, and that's been a thing that has certainly um, been important for an offense that, yes, will chuck it around and will run high tempo, but still likes to run the football. I think you're Justice Hills of the world, Chubba Hubbards, right? Like, uh, I think it was John Randall or, I don't know, maybe I'm confusing him with the Kansas guy. They, they had a Randall. Uh, it might have been another John Randall. Anyway, um, Oklahoma State had a lot of good running backs, and they didn't have as great of a running game in the first three weeks. Well, all of a sudden, Ollie Gordon steps in, and over the last two weeks, Ollie Gordon has run for, you know, almost 300 rushing yards over the last two weeks combined, over 100 yards both weeks. He's been excellent for them. They've started to get the running game going, and for a Kansas defense that, yes, has been better overall this season, still have some questions about how they, they're going to fend against the run game. He gave up over 300 to Texas. He still gave up over 200 to UCF. That's the thing that scares me most about what Oklahoma State does well. That and an opportunistic defense. They're coming off a game in which they forced three interceptions on Will Howard. You know, Jason Bean, do, do you have any ghosts? Do you have any nightmares about the last time you were in Stillwater when you lost 55-3 to and you went 3 of 10 passing the football? Right? Do you have any of those? Now, uh, do any of those nightmares get countered by some of the dreams that you had from last year's game when uh, you were excellent against Oklahoma State, albeit in Lawrence? And you went 18 of 23 for 203 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and had four carries for 93 yards, including a 75-yard touchdown run. That was about as good as you can play as Jason Bean did last year at home against Oklahoma State. Again, that game in Stillwater, though, in 2021, three of 10 for 10 yards with two interceptions. He had a negative 1.6 quarterback rating. I didn't even know it could go negative. And a 1.1 QBR, also nine carries for 24 yards. Those are... Honestly, you could argue that's Jason Bean's worst start versus his best start in the two games. Now, that 2021 Oklahoma State defense was nasty. Uh, going into the Big 12 title game that year, they ended up losing to Baylor. I remember reading certain articles and stats that, like, by certain metrics, it was the best defense of the entire Big 12 era up until that point. So, it was a nasty defense. They're not that this year. They weren't that last year. But it's still an opportunistic defense. And a couple turnovers can sway a game like this. It certainly did against Kansas State. If, if the, the Wildcats maybe only have one turnover as opposed to three, K-State probably wins that game. So those are the two things that scare me most. Oklahoma State being opportunistic at home and that maybe Ollie Gordon just has a huge game on the ground. Where I think KU is going to have a big edge in this game, though, I mean, as, as much as I don't expect 400 rushing yards, I don't expect 399 on the ground again, I think we've kind of seen over the course of this season that even if you're expecting the running game against Kansas, like maybe it helps you slow it down a little bit more, but nobody's really been able to just completely stop it. You look to the Texas game, and obviously the Texas game, not a great game for the KU offense. You put up 14 points. You had seven straight drives where you didn't get a first down. It's not like the running game was bad. You averaged five yards a carry against Texas. You were just down, and you couldn't throw the football consistently, whether it was missed passes or drops. And you would have had a lot more rushing yards, too, if there were a few reads hit here or there. But you averaged five yards a carry against Texas. You averaged six yards a carry against BYU and Illinois. Six and a half against Missouri State. The only game you've been slowed down is the Nevada game. You still had 143 yards rushing and four rushing touchdowns. So... When you look at it and you have four of your six games where you've had 220 or more rushing yards, Oklahoma State can have a good rushing defense game, and Kansas could still run for 180, 200, 220 yards. And Oklahoma State's had a couple games where they you know, haven't been a great running defense so far this season. 
and I would probably argue that Kansas is the best running offense that Oklahoma State has gone against this season. You look through the Oklahoma State schedule. Okay, Central Arkansas, whatever, FCS opponent. Central Arkansas averaged 4.8 yards per carry against them. Arizona State, not great power five team, 3.6 yards per carry. So they did good there. Or 3.2 yards per carry. Uh, South Alabama game, though. They lost 33-7 to at home against South Alabama. South Alabama had 243 rushing yards on over five yards a carry. They were great against Iowa State. 34 carries for 74 for Iowa State running the football for a touchdown. But then Kansas State exploited them a bit. 38 carries, 220 yards, 5.8 per carry, two touchdowns. So I think Kansas does have an edge rushing the football. Not expecting 399, but I'm expecting maybe two bills, you know, maybe 200, maybe 220, something like that. And that's going to give you a chance to win this game. It absolutely is. Um, I think another area that the KU has maybe an advantage here um, if you're looking like individual player matchups, Oklahoma State may be over the middle of the field throwing the football for Kansas. Might be a bit of an advantage for them. And then uh, you look at the Oklahoma State offensive line. The left side of that offensive line has struggled. So Austin Booker, you're ready to possibly have another big game for you. Bottom line here, KU wins if what? I go back to the Oklahoma State running game. I think KU wins the game if they slow Ollie Gordon down. Now, what does that mean? I don't necessarily want to put an exact line on it. I guess if I had to, I would say, well, if Ollie Gordon has less than 100 rushing yards, I think you feel great about that. If Ollie Gordon averages, I don't know, under four and a half yards per carry, I mean, there's still that stat that uh, under Lance Leipold's Kansas is 10-0 and in games where they hold the opponent to four and a half yards per carry or less. I think they're like 3-18 and now because they, they beat UCF, who was able to surpass that and lost to Texas. So I think 3-18 and uh, when they don't. So I guess if you want to put a number, I guess you could say that. Hold, hold the rushing game for Oklahoma State to 4.5 yards per carry or less. Outside of that, it's just play a clean game. Like I, It's, it's impossible, and in college football where you have 18- to 23-year-olds, or I guess nowadays 24-year-olds, it's impossible to know how everybody's going to approach every game and, and – you know how up for every game everybody's going to be? It's also impossible to know how a road game, not sleeping in your own bed, a loud crowd, a good crowd in Stillwater, how that is going to affect the game. I mean, it, it affects games all the time in college football, going on the road, right? If, if we remove that stuff from the equation, you can make a real argument that Kansas is better at almost every position than Oklahoma State. I mean, even a quarterback where you're on your backup quarterback, Jason Mean has put up better numbers over a couple years here than Alan Bowman has. Ollie Gordon's a good running back. I'll take Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw. Oklahoma State has some talented receivers that that I think has been, I, I don't know, the stats are probably underrated from how good they are because of some of the quarterback turn style that they've had. KU's got good receivers, though, too. KU's got good tight ends. Oklahoma State struggled on the left side of the offensive line. KU's been just good along the entire offensive line. Look at the defensive side of the ball. Oklahoma State's got a really good defensive line. Kansas defensive line is pretty good. Maybe you take Oklahoma State there, but, you know, I, I don't think it's like a huge advantage even if you do. Oklahoma State's linebackers, maybe you take them, but again, also don't think that's a huge advantage. And then KU's got all sorts of experience in the secondary. You're probably taking them. Oklahoma State's got a good special teams. You've had a good special team so far. The way Kansas loses this game is either Ollie Gordon goes bananas or they don't play a clean game. And then not playing a clean game thing can't happen. That circles right back around to saying, you're going on the road, 
Tough place to play. Opportunistic defense. Backup quarterback. Who's to say you don't have two or three interceptions? Who's to say you don't have a couple interceptions and a fumble or two? Those things could absolutely happen. And if those things happen, Oklahoma State wins the game. But if you play a clean game and you play decent against the run, I like KU to come out on top. All right, we're going to get to our KU game picks later in the show. We'll have uh, more KU football talk throughout. Let's get to our Chiefs recap. They took down the Broncos on Thursday Night Football last night, 19-8, to and certainly a unique score. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN. Depend on it. We're going to be joined by Parker Fleming coming up here in about 15 minutes on the show. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson flying solo on this episode of RCST. City Showdown coming at you tonight. That'll be at 7 o'clock here on KLWN between Free State and Lawrence High, as well as KLWN.com for our video feed. Um, Adam Schefter reported this earlier today. Denver releasing Frank Clark in the same week he gave back $1.7 million to help create this possibility. He obviously uh, signed with the Broncos earliest offseason. That means that Frank Clark was like, I will literally pay you nearly $2 million to be off this team. The, the Broncos are so bad that players are paying millions of dollars to be like, I'm gone. Now, uh, well, we'll see where he ends up signing. He's a free agent. I would certainly think that would maybe help the case for the Chiefs to pick him up. They could uh, certainly use another pass rusher, I would think. I mean, the, the Vikings game pass rush was, was pretty non-existent. Pass rush has been pretty good the rest of the games. I wouldn't say it's been great, but there are times where Chris Jones just takes over, and I think George Karloftis has been pretty good. Obviously, you're going to have uh, Charles O'Menehue coming back here soon, too, so it's going to get better, but you can never have enough pass rush, whether it's to deal with injury throughout the season or, uh, you know, right now they, they don't really have it. It's nice to have that, like, veteran pass rusher that can just come in, and maybe they're not an every-down player, but we saw it a couple years ago with Melvin Ingram. We saw it uh, for the first Super Bowl Mahomes season with – uh, Terrell Suggs, we, we saw it um, last year with Carlos Dunlap. And I, I think they have around $4 million in cap space. You'd imagine, especially because Clark, even though he took a pay cut here, he uh, obviously, you know, still gets some money from the Broncos. Uh, maybe he signs for, for like a $2, $3 million deal or something. Uh, it's, it's clear that he values winning. The fact that he is giving up $2 million to go somewhere where he can be a winning player, I don't know. It feels like it would line up. But maybe not. Maybe it won't happen. Maybe there's bad blood there. Who knows? But uh, I, it's funny. I, I don't know that there's a player that's done a bigger turn 180 like multiple times. You think about when the Chiefs first trade for Frank Clark. Obviously high expectations based on how much they gave up for him and the contract they gave him. And uh, they go and they win a Super Bowl. And he was great in the postseason. And everybody's super happy. Then in the regular season the next couple of years, you didn't get great production from Frank Clark. And then you went into last year, and they, they cut down his money to, like, a minimum amount. And, you know, expectations were at an all-time low. And then he ha ended up having a really good season, all things considering, and, and was good again for you in the playoffs and has been clutch for you in the postseason. And then, uh, you know, it, it's it's beloved, and you see some of the audio clips come out. If he, if he ends up signing with the Chiefs after basically paying the Broncos to get out of the contract, it's going to only make him even more beloved by uh, Chiefs Kingdom. So anyway, Chiefs win 19-8 to over the Denver Broncos last night. It was kind of a frustrating game from one standpoint. Um, you kept on like key plays taking the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, whether it was Kadarius Toney running Wildcat or throwing a pass or the fake kick where you tried the, the tush push and you were a little bit short, which, by the way, what the heck, man, on the, on the camera work. We didn't even like see half the play. Um, offensively, still sluggish a little bit. 
Keep in mind that was the worst defense in the NFL, and you only put up 19 points. Now, there is a part of me that wonders if the Chiefs were intentionally doing a bunch of weird stuff, not normal plays, if they were, I, I guess, kind of keeping things to themselves for a couple reasons. One, it, it's almost like the the comment, like, I don't want to waste my breath on you. Like, I wonder if the Chiefs are just like, ah, the Broncos are so bad. Why would we waste anything that we're actually going to use, like, against good teams or in a playoff game? But also, you play them in a couple weeks. And hypothetically, that one will be a tougher game since it'll be on the road as opposed to in Arrowhead. And they didn't want to give anything away unless they, like, absolutely had to, which with the way the game was going early and the way the game started, you didn't really have to. And maybe you didn't want to risk giving away some of your fourth down plays or or different stuff that you would do in more meaningful games unless, again, they really had to. Um, And I guess you did use some creative plays, but, like, I I don't know how many of those you use in in other games. I almost felt like the uh, fake kick, by the way, was like an opportunity by Andy Reid to be like, hey, Dave Tobe, you've given up two, like, fake punts for first downs this year. I'm going to give you a chance to get one back. And that did not work. But at the same point in time, if you would have just had one bet, like like the drive where you did end up with no points because you did the fake kick, if you would have just scored a touchdown on that one drive, like if you just had better red zone offense, the production would have been a lot different. You still cover the spread, but, you know, if you score a touchdown on that drive, it's 26 to 8. It's, it's a blowout at that point, right? If you get a touchdown on that drive, uh, it's kind of over. If you get a touchdown on one of the other drives, you get a field goal, and it's 23-8. to eight. Do you feel much better? Maybe not much better, but I think you feel a little bit better. You still won. You still covered the spread. Honestly, thanks to Sean Payton, who was kind of a dumb-dumb. He called a timeout at the end of the first half with whatever it was, like 22 seconds. He said in the postgame, it's because he confused what down it was. He thought that it was third down. They had another down, so they wanted to stop the clock so that they could go down and get a field goal. Uh, for all the crap that he gave Nathaniel Hackett, that is something that Nathaniel Hackett would do. And Sean Payton, yikes, bud. And that ended up giving the Chiefs another field goal, which in the end was the difference of why they covered the spread and, and why the Broncos didn't even have a chance to try to tie the game toward the end. For what it's worth on the offense, uh, even though it wasn't a great game, Travis Kelsey uh, continues to show why he's the GOAT tight end. And we're not really seeing, part of the frustration, you're not really seeing the growth from the receiver position. Like, with Sky Moore, it's it's good for, like, two catches a game for, like, 20, 30 yards. With MVS, I, I think I saw something that over the last, like, three games, two or three games, he has, like, 120-something snaps, and he has, like, one or two catches for, like, 18 yards. I mean, just you're not getting much there. Um, Justin Ross barely used. Justin Watson had the one long ball, which would have been – uh, it, it was a great throw by Mahomes, would have been a huge game, but he couldn't hold on and then unfortunately was injured. I think he dislocated his elbow, so that's going to mean even more time for some of these young receivers. Um, it definitely does feel like this is kind of the beginning of Rashi Rice being the guy. We saw a couple weeks ago against Chicago, they were getting him involved. He ends up with like 74 receiving yards in this game. Rice obviously has catch issues at times, but he's really good in that intermediate. He's really good when you get the ball in his hands, whether it's on a slant or a screen. He had that one screen where you did see some of the ball catching issues where he kind of starts to drop it and bobble it, but he's able to get back to it, and then he uh, makes a nice nice run after catch. So I, I definitely think you're seeing flashes from Rashi Rice, Rice, and that's more than I can say with kind of any of the other young receivers in, in starting to break out and starting to burgeon. So at least that's kind of a good sign. But, yeah, it is very scary to, to try to be like, well, if Travis Kelsey gets hurt again this year, he has to miss a game. What is the offense going to look like? Because right now the offense is sputtering a little bit. Again, that was the worst defense in the NFL coming in. 
Um, the Chiefs' defense, though, is really good. And the Broncos' offense, that looked like the unit that was the worst unit in the NFL. Seriously. Um, but honestly, coming into the game, I think the Broncos were 16th in the NFL in DVOA, so they were about your league average offense. You made them look like a horrible unit. You held them to over 100 passing yards as a team. Chris Jones and George Karloftis, really good pass rush pairing. You get O'Manahue back. Talked earlier about Frank Clark. Maybe if you want that extra depth, maybe Carlos Dunlap, he's still out there. And I think the Chiefs have the second-best linebacker unit in the NFL. Um, the 49ers, theirs is ridiculous. But it's funny because linebacker has kind of become like the running back of the defense and that it's a position that you're not paying as much. And it's a position that with the nature of the game where it is more spread and throwing the ball around, you're seeing, you know, a lot of times where linebackers get subbed off the field for extra DBs and they become a little less important. But in that same vein, if you have a dominant running back, like if you have a Christian McCaffrey or Derrick Henry, it can be the lifeblood of a unit. And the Chiefs have that kind of dominant linebacking core. It's a huge weapon. That's what we're seeing right now. And really every level of the defense, though, you have the that front with uh, Karloftis and Jones. At the back level, the DBs getting another year older from the young players. They're really meshing. Trent McDuffie, absolute stud. He was targeted only twice last night. He gave up like 12 yards. Legereus Sneed, uh, I don't think was targeted uh, like at all. I, th- I think I saw some stats with like Pro Football Focus. It was like 38 snaps that he played as, as an outside corner, and he wasn't targeted at least in those specific snaps. And uh, these are this is what Chiefs have done to number one receivers, whether it's McDuffie, whether it's Sneed, whether it's some of these other guys that are mixing and matching on people. Jerry Judy had just three catches for 14 yards. One week prior, Justin Jefferson had three for 28. For Jacksonville, Calvin Ridley had two for 32. DJ Moore had three for 41, but I think two or three of those were in garbage time with the backups in. Garrett Wilson... I guess had success. He had nine catches, but he only had 60 yards off nine catches. Like a lot of that was just manufactured for him. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown had a good game in week one, but you know, that's one game. And, and even then it was like 72 yards. It wasn't like a takeover game. Um, I, I don't know that it's always McDuffie again. I don't know that's always Sneed, but whatever it is, like Chiefs DBs have been excellent so far this season. I will say one thing. I, I couldn't stand after the game. You saw this bunch on social media. Chiefs fans being like, oh, I want to die watching this game or uh, th- that one meme that they post out, which I, I think sometimes can be true about like, oh, over the course of the game, you, you, you're you like so excited for the Chiefs and then you see the, the one bar where it says uh, over the course of the game, like, oh, I'm hating this or whatever. And then the very end is like, oh, Chiefs win. Enjoy the wins, man. There's so many other franchises that would just be happy to, to win like that. You won by 11. You're winning games. The Chiefs were one of those teams 10 years ago where you would take anything. Like, yes, the expectations are Super Bowl or bust to a certain extent, and that changes the way you watch games that you want to see Super Bowl-level football, and that's not always going to be the case. Just enjoy the wins. Enjoy the entertainment because it's not always going to be this way. You know, 10, 15 years from now, Patrick Holmes is gone. Look at what happens to the Patriots. So enjoy even the gross games like this because even these can be fun. All right, Parker Fleming is going to join us coming up next. College Football Graphs, Stats of War on the other side to talk a little KU Oklahoma State and college football. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. This is KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it. About 20 till 4, this is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on KLWN. Here the KU Oklahoma State game tomorrow. Crimson Blue Show starts at 1 o'clock, kickoff at 2.30 here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We're joined now by a special guest, Parker Fleming, who uh, uh, does college football graphs. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Stats of War. He is one of the guys you have to be following 
for college football season. He's going to give you an in-depth look at some of the numbers and some of the advanced stats uh, for college football games around the country. So highly recommend checking out Parker. Thank you for hopping on the show today. And, uh, you know, I, I have your stat sheet up right now for the KU Oklahoma State game. And obviously, you know, if, if somebody's checking out your stats pages for the first time, you might be a little scared off. There's a lot of numbers there, or a lot of different things going on. So uh, if you could, to kind of interpret uh, getting into the nitty-gritty on some of this stuff, how would you best describe from kind of a stats element what sticks out to you about this matchup and, and how you go about looking through those kind of stats pages and stats boards to help you preview and, and kind of think about a game? Yeah, well, one, one, thanks for having me on. I always, always appreciate the opportunity to talk football and uh, talk to different people around the country. So um, I'm grateful, grateful to be here. When I made these stat sheets, I really was just interested in kind of like a one-sheet reference that would help me uh, preview any matchup kind of through the lens that I, that I look at football. And, um, and so the way that I kind of split it out is, you know, the, 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 the run game and the pass game are important and how often a team runs and passes is really important in kind of determining how well they're going to run and pass against another team. Uh, I think there's a couple drive stats that are really, really important in terms of how often you create a, a quality possession uh, that I call an echel um, after the Navy fullback because they had some beefy drives back in the day. Um, but basically saying how often do you create a drive, you know, where you are more likely to score than than not. And then what do you do with that? And then I look at some things like early downs and late down splits, first and second versus third and fourth downs. I think that's really important in college football. Obviously, what you do on first and second down is going to be a lot more predictive, Um against other offenses necessarily than, you know, that third and fourth down um, uh, stats as well. So I, I kind of tried to create something that was just a, a one, one sheet kind of look at those different facets of the game. Some stats I think are important. The bedrock stat there is, is of course, EPA, expected points added. And what EPA does is just translates yards to points in context. You know, uh, everyone knows a, a three-yard game on first and ten is bad. A three yard gain on third and one is great. And so we want to, um, you know, make sure we're accounting for a situation there as well as EPA. So when I look at a matchup like Oklahoma, uh, Kansas at Oklahoma State, I start kind of with an EPA per play margin, which is just how much more efficient is your offense than your defense. Kansas is uh, 47th in the nation in EPA per play margin, slightly more efficient on offense than defense. You know, obviously they're uh, that, that Lance Leipold offense is, is so dynamic, 27th in EPA per play, and the defense is, is 89th, a little bit, little bit worse, giving up some of those big plays. And then Oklahoma State is 69th in EPA per play margin, 97th on offense, 46th on defense. So you can see a matchup kind of a best on best with Kansas's explosive offense, Oklahoma's pretty fierce, Oklahoma State's pretty fierce defense, and then of course the worst side of things, Oklahoma State's pretty abysmal offense, and Kansas's. I'll, I'll say thinner defensive side. Yeah, and uh, is there a stat that's maybe most encouraging for KU uh, coming into this game versus maybe a stat that, that maybe is most worrisome? Yeah, so on the positive side, there's two things that I really like for Kansas in this matchup. Um, one, I, I really like to look at how often you create a quality possession and then how often you score on that, right? The echo rate and then the points per echo. Um, and Kansas is 17th in generating quality possessions in the nation, but they're 53rd in finishing those drives, averaging only 3.73 points per quality possession. 
still better than a field goal and, and pretty good, but, but leaves a lot to be desired in the finishing drives aspect of things when the field gets short. The good news for them, Oklahoma State's defense, they're 15th in echo rate allowed, so they don't give up many opportunities. But when they give up those opportunities, they're letting teams score 3.50 points per echo. That's 76th in the nation. So the one thing that Kansas's offense has struggled with is finishing drives consistently, and that's the one thing Oklahoma State's defense is pretty bad at. So that bodes pretty well for Kansas. The, on the, other, the other thing on the offensive side of the ball for Kansas that bodes well is um, their 25th and 3rd and 4th down success rate. We know that with, with the Leipold offense, obviously, they're going to get creative on late downs, and they're going to extend drives on those late downs. Oklahoma State's defense is 60th in third and fourth down success rate on defense. So that's kind of their weakness uh, overall on defense. That gives Kansas a really long leash to convert on those late downs, to extend those drives, and to uh, to put up some points on the board. On the other side of the ball, um, a couple of things that are that are worrisome. You know, Kansas State, or excuse me, I'm got to got to back. Yeah, get yourself Kansas. don't get yourself in trouble there. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, Kansas's pass defense is 76 in the nation. Now Oklahoma State's offense is only 102nd in EPA per pass, um, and they've really really struggled. But we saw against Kansas State they could hit some big plays, and they're definitely going to try to pick on uh, that that pass defense. What what what's uh, a little bit worrisome there is that the, the rush defense for Kansas is also 74th in the nation. Oklahoma State's been rushing the ball 30 seventh best in the nation. So a little bit better in the rush than the pass. I think the the, the, the struggles on Kansas's pass defense give Oklahoma State some uh, pathways to maybe try to exploit that secondary. And, you know, not just in the sense of uh, actually passing the ball more, but in the sense of um, selecting that run and pass mix in such a way to really stretch out Kansas's defense. I think there's a lot of opportunity for Oklahoma State there. So if I'm going to be worried about Oklahoma, uh, about Oklahoma State, if I'm a Kansas fan, I'm going to be worried about what is their run-pass mix going to look like, and are they going to rush enough credibly to really stretch, you know, make those safeties cheat up and then try to beat you over the top of the pass game. Well, the, the betting spread on this game, depending where you look, two and a half to four points, kind of somewhere in that range with KU favored. Your model has this game more to the liking of about 31 to 21. Uh, what do you think leads to the big gap there? And, and is that indicative that you would be comfortable taking Kansas minus the points? Yeah, well, well so, so one, I always say, you know, these previews are not gambling advice. And you should have a bankroll and bet responsibly and all of that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's a couple things that work here. One, I hate betting against Mike Gundy at home. Um, I just hate it. I don't, I don't like doing it. And, uh, and there, there's some bigger trends that are hard to quantify there. So, so that's one reason that I'd be a little skeptical on, on Kansas here. But, um, yeah, what, 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 what I think the difference between the gap is, is, uh, Oklahoma State's offense has just been really, really poor. And their defense has gotten better over the last couple of weeks. But I don't know if those, um, I mean, you look at that game last week against Kansas State and you look, okay, it was a Friday night and it's a little bit weird. And Will Howard made a couple throws that I'm sure he regrets. And there, there was a couple things that didn't connect. Uh, I really think Oklahoma State just, just kind of got one off there that they really had no business winning. I don't think that's necessarily indicative of them turning a corner per se. Um, I, I stayed away from this one personally. I don't have any action on it because, again, don't like betting against Gundy. And two, that Kansas defense does make me a little bit 
nervous, especially just in, in terms of depth as the season goes. And we saw last year, and obviously this is not last year, and Leipold's building the program up. Um, you know, it, things got really rough in the second half of the season for Kansas there. And so I, I have this one circled. I want to know a little bit more about what's Oklahoma State doing to kind of get rid of their funk and what is Kansas doing to kind of maintain the explosiveness on offense and the, the um, you know, the, the, the doing enough on, on defense here. So I, I don't have any action on this one personally, even, even though I have a big edge. Uh, you know, kind of quote unquote from my model to the line. But I think situationally, that's, I, I think situationally is kind of why I don't have any action on it. Is there, is there a stat or two that may, maybe it's the echo rate? Like, do you have a favorite stat, I guess, a favorite stat or two that, that you immediately are typically drawn to? And uh, how, how do those affect the way that you view games and, and from kind of a year to year and how, um, I, I guess, sticky they are? Yeah, so so I think there's two two kind of facets that I really like to look at that I think if you ask me, you know, well, how good is this team, this is where I would go first. One, I like to look at your running and passing efficiency, EPA per play and EPA per rush, or EPA per pass, EPA per rush, right? And I'm going to look at those in conjunction with a stat that I track called rush rate over expected. And so I take, you know, down, distance, yard line, score, uh, differential, uh, time left in the game, and create a model that just says, how often does the average team rush here? How much more, uh, you know, than, than, than average does this team rush in any given situation? And that split tells me a lot about kind of the relative strength and weakness of each unit. Because, you know, if you're a better run team, you're going to run a lot more. If you're a better pass team, you're going to pass a lot more and vice versa. On defenses, sometimes you'll see these huge splits. And Oklahoma State's a good example. They're 22nd in EPA per rush but they're 68th in EPA per pass allowed. That doesn't tell me necessarily that Oklahoma State's defense, the 22nd best rushing defense in the nation, tells me that the pass defense is so bad that teams are saying, hey, why would I ever run against you if I don't have to? I'm going to air it out. And so that, that alone right there gives me some insight into how do, I, how do I watch this game? What's Kansas going to do? And, of course, you know, I both know Kansas is going to option the bejesus out of them and make <laughs> Oklahoma State choose whether they want to defund the run or the pass. And, and so, again, you can watch and learn about that. Uh, yeah, and then that echo rate, I think, is one I look at a lot, too, just echo rate and points per echo together, saying, hey, are you, are you generating these drives often? Are you scoring when you do that? That's going to tell me a lot about kind of your efficiency and, and you know, when the field gets short, uh, are your athletes making the plays? I think that's really, really important in college football. And so the echo rate and points per echo certainly gives you some insight into that. Around the country, is there a team that maybe because of some of the numbers that you've crunched in, in your model and everything that you feel like you're higher on than maybe the consensus? Yeah, oh man, this is like the, this is like the number one question, and I just I just fall in love with teams so randomly that that I, I always have to uh, kind of catch myself uh, with this one to not talk about some random team. Um, I you know I have Oregon favored by a touchdown this weekend, so I know they're a dog on the road, um, but I think they're a really really solid team. They've played really well. I like Maryland a whole lot. I think that they're kind of at the top of their development cycle with Talia being, you know, uh, such an experienced quarterback. So he's one that, that, um, I think they're, they're, they're a lot better, you know, preseason. I had a lot of stock in Texas state and, uh, and they've kind of borne out, uh, you know, that they, that they're, uh, at least competitive to their schedule. So those are three that I'm, that I'm a little bit higher on, uh, teams that I'm a little lower on, I think than consensus, um, I have Florida State, you know, kind of a, a top 20 team, but not a top, 
um, you know, not a top 10 team. I think their, their efficiency metrics on a play to play basis were a little better last year. Uh, and this year they're, they're, they're kind of have regressed, uh, a little bit there. I had, um, Texas A&M favored outright against Alabama last week and they just made some mistakes and just lost that game outright. So they're a team that I'm a little bit higher on than, than the consensus as, uh, as well. Well, I'm I'm disappointed you didn't bring up Air Force, who is currently number two right now on uh, some of the raw stats for for college football okay, drafts. They're, they're just legitimately good. Yeah, that's great. I don't, I don't even know if I'm <laughs> higher. I thought everyone in the nation just knew that the troops can 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 play football, and uh, yeah, man, they're really really consistent. And uh, I was excited about them versus Fresno State as the Mountain West Championship game, but uh, Wyoming is is playing beefy. I mean, that's a that's a great game this weekend, and I think uh, Air Force, you know, Wyoming be on the road i've got air force by double digits there but we'll see how the pacing affects that game and and whether air force can pull away or not I, i'm so excited for that game i know we've got oregon washington we've got a couple other really really stout games i'm clearing my schedule for air force wyoming that one's gonna be great all right what about uh maybe some underrated units teams that uh you feel like have really good offenses or really good defenses that, that maybe people do or don't know about uh, across the country yeah, so I, I want to plug the website that I need to update again because uh, I see this is through week five, but that's all right. Um, uh, so looking at cfb-graphs.com and sorting by offenses, you've got a lot of the usual suspects up top, Oregon, Miami, USC, Notre Dame. Like, they're all pretty good. New Mexico State is one that I'll say, if you haven't watched Diego Pavia play football, you need to do it this year. He's chaotic. He's very fun. He's, he's among the top ten in touchdowns per pass attempt. Um which is just a fun stat, you know, like when they throw it, he's throwing touchdowns. I think they're really good. Another team that I had, um, I have 10th in my offensive efficiency metric is Louisville. Um, and, and Louisville was one that was interesting to me preseason because they didn't get Florida State and they didn't get Clemson. And the new ACC, that's a path to the championship, right? Like that's, that's, that's given on a silver platter. And, and they've been very, very consistent. And they went out and whipped Notre Dame this weekend. So Louisville's one that I think people thought new coach, uh, I don't know, but their defense was solid last year. They returned a lot, and they reunited Jeff Brom with Jack Plummer. There's a lot of opportunity there. So Louisville's one that I'm a, a little bit higher on. Um, another team to watch, uh, again, not not to go too you know, sicko and into the G5 here, but Liberty um, with um, Jamie Chadwell, I think, is, is learning and getting better every week. That offense is so complicated and so fun and so chaotic. They're getting better week over week. Last year, Coastal Carolina under under Chadwell was first in the nation in success rate differential on plays with and without motion. He just knew how to leverage guys. They've got Caden Salter, you know, throwing 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 bombs for them. I, I think Liberty is really really fun, and I expect them to be dramatically better at the end of the season than they were at the beginning of the season. Not that they were bad at all. So that, that that's another fun one. I think that's that's kind of on my radar. Uh, if I'm, I I think the Kansas people are going to get mad at me for this one. So don't throw eggs at me. But Missouri added Theo Weiss and has like two legitimately awesome receivers now. Luther Burden is so fun to watch. They're making Brady Cook look like a top half SEC quarterback. I mean, that's a, that's immensely fun to me, and they've been pretty good. They're 28th in my offensive EPA uh, metric, and, and their defense has been pretty solid overall, you know, in the top 22. So, um, I, I think Missouri is one that's probably a little less, little, little, little less on people's radar. But they made a really good transfer portal addition with with Weiss and kind of changed the gravity of their offense, and they're they're reaping the benefits for sure. Well, Parker, I, I appreciate you so much for for taking some time out of your Friday and uh, hopping on with us here 
how, how can people follow your work and, and check out some of your stuff? Yeah, so best way to do that is to uh, is to follow me on Twitter at Stato War. Um, that's where some of my college stuff is. I, I, I have recently um, taken a job with Sumer Sports, and I'm doing some NFL and some college work for them, kind of behind the scenes. But there, uh, you know, you can follow them on Twitter at at Sumer S U M E R Sports as well. It's a great place to get some NFL info if you're into that too. So those two places, and and you'll get as much Parker as you want from those two. Awesome. Well, Parker, thank you so much, and uh, enjoy all the football madness this weekend. Yeah, have a great weekend. Appreciate you having me on. All right, that's Parker Fleming, CFB-Graphs. As he said, Stats of War on Twitter, and uh, you'll find all his great stuff through his Twitter feed. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We got uh, some more KU football talk throughout the show. Coming up next, we're going to get to some KU football audio from the week. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. About half past the hour, Derek Johnson with you solo today on RCST. But not solo right now. We're joined by Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. We continue on with Locktober here in October. Lee, thanks for uh, hopping on once again on this beautiful Friday. Well, I don't know if I'd call it beautiful, but it is a Friday afternoon, so that makes it beautiful. And we got a bunch of college football NFL over the weekend, so that also makes it beautiful. Uh, first up on the games this week, we got North Carolina giving up three and a hook against Miami. And uh, I, I don't know where you're going with this one, Lee, but I, I think people might have trouble betting on Mario Cristobal after what happened last week. He's not coaching. You didn't hear what happened? Did you see the news like 20 minutes ago? No, I didn't. He suspended himself. No way. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he kind of deserves to. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, if I was the coach, someone asked me, is it the toughest Miami loss? I said, no. I, do I think they're winning a national title? No. Do I think they were going to be in contention for it? No. Are they much improved? Yes. What he did is just unexplainable. What what probably hurts me most, being a Miami fan, is I don't think he realized until maybe 20 or 30 minutes after he even hit the locker room. He was still blaming the running back for fumbling. So, I, I mean, it's almost unconscionable what he did. But... I will say this. Maybe the toughest loss for Miami ever was that loss. Either the Penn State loss, uh, the 86 season, 87 Fiesta Bowl, or the Ohio State game in 2002. Mm-hmm. When you end a season like that, it's horrible. I mean, I remember just going around the campus basketball season after that. It was dead. I mean, they could be playing Duke and no one cared. I think the best thing for these kids is for them to get back on the field the next week and play. And if this, if they had won the game, let's say twenty to seventeen, I think the line would have been a pick them. So you're getting three and a half or four points. I think the time to fade Miami might be next week against this Clemson team at home when they've either rallied and won this game or they lost, and then they just you know two weeks of. Just amazing up-and-down emotion. That might be the time to fade them. But I think they match up well with North Carolina. North Carolina's played no one. They played App State's the toughest opponent. I think Miami's the best offense and defense will face. Miami's defensive line, number two in the country, and creating uh, yards per loss. And I think the special teams are great also. I like Miami outright 34-30. All right, and uh, yeah, to your point, I, I guess there's two ways to go as a football team right. from, from what happened. It's either you rally around it and you play pissed off this week, or uh, it, it has a negative impact. Uh, Texas right. Tech is giving up one and a half against Kansas State. 
couple of teams that, uh, I don't know, probably feel disappointed that they already have a couple losses at least each so far this year. Who do you like in Lubbock? Well, I will say this about Texas Tech. I think they're one of the most improved teams. I would not want to play them. And what's crazy is Oklahoma doesn't have to play them, but you, if you watched their game last week, they dominated that game against Baylor. They won by 25, 39-14, turned the ball over twice. What's, what, what You can't ever, well, you kind of have to factor it in here, is they do some dumb stuff. I mean, the last two games they dominated Houston, dominated Baylor. But they'll do some things like sometimes they'll run six, seven times in a row, gain seven to ten yards, and then they'll try like a double reverse pass. Like, just keep running the football. But that's Texas Tech. I think the problem here with Kansas State, they lost their best player on the team, Daniel Green. A lot of people don't even know who he is. Middle linebacker, best player by far. Once he was done for the year, the defense has fallen off, and Will Howard's trying to fit the ball into some tight windows. He just doesn't have the weapons that he used to have. I, I think this is a great situational play. I think Texas Tech wins 31-27. All right. And uh, yep. certainly that would lead to some panic in Manhattan there if, if they fell for the third time this year. Uh, Kansas is down in Stillwater playing the team that just beat Kansas State last Friday night. Jayhawks are giving up three points against the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys might have found themselves. Do I think they're talented? Not really. Do I think they're well coached? Yeah. Sometimes winning an ugly game can, can lead you to a run. They're not going to be great teams. But in this game against Kansas, I don't think Jason Bean's the guy, even though he played well last week. I don't think he's the guy you can count on week to week to give you a real top-flight performance here. So I think the special teams might be the difference here. Maybe Oklahoma State comes up with a trick play or two. Winning the game usually leads Oklahoma State to go on a little bit of a run. Give me Oklahoma State. They pull off the small upset here, 28-24. On to the NFL where the Detroit Lions are down in Tampa Bay. The Lions are giving up three points against the Buccaneers. So I love this Lions team. They play tough, and they play smart. Here's the problem, though. They have their best offensive lineman may miss the game. Their new rookie star tight end probably out with a cap injury. And you're, they also could be without Gibbs and their best receiver, Brown. That's, if they're missing three out of the top four players on offense, they're in trouble. And Tampa Bay, <laughs> at least two takeaways from their defense in every single game this year. I like Tampa Bay. Low-scoring game here, 20-17. to 17. Okay. Uh, Monday night football, or I can't remember if this is Sunday night or, or Monday night. Yeah. But, uh, Monday night. Monday night, okay. Uh, Dallas has given up two points against the Chargers. Feels like this is a very big game for both teams. I mean, Dallas, you're, you're coming off the big loss to San Francisco, trying to get back on track. For the Chargers, you've kind of come out of your 0-2 hole, but this would feel like you're getting knocked back in the hole if you lose this game. Very important game. Who do you like between the Cowboys minus two against the Chargers of L.A.? I think the most important player in this game, Coach Kellen Moore, he got fired. And I think he was game planning this summer for this game. think that he got five, all the training camp of five regular season games to look at his team, their strengths and weaknesses. And now he's been able to study Dallas. They're, you know, they're only a couple new players, pretty much the same players, same defensive coordinator. 
And then on top of that, he gets the bye week to prepare. I like San Diego. I like Austin Eckler coming back here. San Diego, 26-20. All right, that would certainly be a big one to try to keep them within at least striking distance of the Chiefs atop the AFC West. Uh, your free play this week features a Big 12 game. TCU has given up five against BYU. How can people get the free play there? Just call 800-400-9741. 800-400-9741. First 10 callers, I'm going to give them TCU and BYU on me. And we're 47-22-2 and two this year. For our clients, you want to hop on board. We rate our selections from 10 to 50 units. We have our first 40 to 50 unit selection of the year. Goes on Saturday. We're 62 and 20 on these games. Now, you want to hop on board. We don't call it October. We call it October. Three weeks of games. Just $247 one place. ParamountSports.com. All right. Well, Lee, I appreciate the time as always. And uh, good luck sports betting and, and having a good time watching all the football games this weekend. And, you too, uh, guys. Take care. Have yeah, a great weekend. We Be safe. All right. That's Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And uh, we'll get to our game picks using some of that knowledge from Lee coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. All right, time for the game picks here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson flying solo today, but Nick Springer has sent me in with his game picks for the week. So that's good news there. We officially keep him on record. Uh, not a great week for either of us last week in game picks, and uh, certainly has not been a great year for me in game picks. I have done horribly. So, you know, congratulations if you're fading me, then you're doing probably very well. So, uh, yeah, I guess congratulations to that. All right, um, well, let's get into the game picks for the week here. First up on the ledger, uh, as Nick is 29-24 and 24 on the season, 33-30 and 30 on the year. Uh, if you include locks, I am 21 and 33, yikes, and 27 and 38 if you include locks. He is 14 and 15 in college football. I am 10 and 19 in college football. Uh, first up, we have number eight, Oregon, at number seven, Washington. The Huskies are giving up three points in this game. Now, we, we uh, talked to Parker Fleming earlier in the show, and he said uh, he was very different with the line in this one. He had Oregon by seven points. Um, that just makes me feel even better because Parker is smarter than I am with some of this stuff. So uh, I, I was originally thinking Oregon anyway. Oregon's done very well in this series overall, and uh, certainly it's been one that Washington has struggled in. I think Oregon has the most maybe complete team in the Pac-12 when, when you kind of add everything up because uh, the defense is actually really good for Oregon, uh, and you know that that's not the case with all these Pac-12 teams. Like USC, the defense – Washington, the defense. So I'm going to go with Oregon, and I can only believe that Nick picked Oregon as well because he thinks I'm so smart and wanted to copy me on the pick here. Uh, number 10, USC. Is that number 21, Notre Dame? The Fighting Irish are giving up three points. Uh, we're both going with USC on this one. I just I, I don't trust the Notre Dame offense. They uh, have a really good running back in Estime. Uh, the quarterback, Sam Hartman, is a guy I like, but he's not like a, a great player. And they don't have a ton of weapons on the outside. Offensive line has a bunch of guys that are probably going to be drafted or, or supposed to be drafted, but feels like they haven't lived up to the billing just yet so far this season. Maybe this is the game to get the offense going because uh, certainly the USC defense is not great. I just think USC's offense, Caleb Williams, is too much in a close game going on the road. I'm going to take the Trojans, especially because they're getting three points in what could be a close game. Number 25, Miami, is at number 12, North Carolina. Nick is... Uh, Following the advice of Lee, he's taken North Carolina, or I'm sorry, he's taken Miami plus the three points. 
I'm kind of in the zone where I'm like, that was so egregious what happened last week that I'm wondering if Miami is going to kind of shut down because of it, and they're going to kind of go in a tailspin from here. So I'm going to take North Carolina minus three points. I kind of like North Carolina a little bit better anyway. Tyler Van Dyke can be really good, but he's a lot more inconsistent. Drake May, really good quarterback for North Carolina. I'm buying what Mac Brown and his team are doing this year, uh, giving the uh, Tar Heels minus three points. Missouri is at number 24, Kentucky. The Wildcats giving up two and a half points. I didn't think Nick would have the gall in him. Maybe it's because he's not here today, so he doesn't have to physically say the words coming out of his mouth. But he is picking Missouri in this one. I think it's coin flip, so, you know, uh, rock chalk. I'll pick Kentucky on this one, I guess. Uh, Kentucky's got a really good running game. They got splattered last week against Georgia. Maybe they bounce back. Uh, It is going to be a very exciting Missouri offense against a good Kentucky defense. So I I honestly don't know, but I'm going to go Kentucky. And then uh, another top 20 matchup in the Pac-12, number 18 UCLA, is at number 15 Oregon State. The Beavers are giving up three and a half points. Nick is taking Oregon State minus three and a half. I'm going to go with UCLA. I think that UCLA is one of the sneaky top, I don't know, 12 to 15 best teams in the country right now. Um, The Bruins' defense is unreal. There are uh, certain, you know, whether it's stats or, or metrics that have this Bruins team as the number one or a top five defense in the country right now. The defensive line has been unreal. That defense is legit. So if you're giving me three and a half, I think they can keep it close on the road. I like the freshman quarterback. The thing is, he's inconsistent, as you would expect a freshman. You'll see a lot of flash plays and a lot of great throws by the young freshman. On the road, tough environment, good defense. That does scare me a little bit here, but I actually think UCLA is really good, so I'm going to take the Bruins plus the three and a half points. Lock of the week. Nick is 2-3-1 and one in his locks of the week in college football. He's taken Miami, North Carolina over 56 and a half. I can only imagine. I mean, Miami played A&M. That was a shootout. As I mentioned, Van Dyke can get going. North Carolina, defense has been better than last year, but they're still susceptible to, you know, giving up some big plays here or there. Drake May can get it going offensively. Um, I am 4-2 and two in my locks in college football. I went to the Wyoming well last week. I'm going to go back to the Wyoming well this week. I think Wyoming being slept on. They got 6.5 last week against Fresno, won the game outright. This week they're getting 11 points at Air Force, and Air Force has been an absolute dominant train so far. Um, we were talking with, with Parker Fleming earlier, and if you go on college football graphs now, he was saying he needs to update that. It was, it was one week off, but... The efficiency numbers that Air Force is putting up is ridiculous. They're actually throwing the ball well on their like per throw numbers, and they're being efficient there. Running the ball at a stupid level right now, and the defense has been great for Air Force so far. And the game's in Air Force, but for whatever reason, I was talking to, to one of my friends who, who went to Air Force, and he was telling me he doesn't feel great about this game because Wyoming always plays Air Force well. And you go back to uh, 2011, it was... Wyoming has won seven of the 11 games in this series, and the games that they lost, lost one by 10, they lost one by 14, another by 14, and then another by one point. So Wyoming's played well in the series. I like the defense. I think they have a gritty enough offense. Air Force might win the game, but I think they keep it within the 11 points. I've seen some places at 10 and a half. Give me the Cowboys again. I'm going to keep riding that train here for my lock of the week. Over to the NFL, where on the season, Nick has gone 15-9-1. I am 11-14 on the air in the NFL. Uh, Baltimore is minus four against the Tennessee Titans. Nick and myself are both taking the same one. Baltimore minus four. I think the Ravens bounce back uh, well in this game after how things went in Pittsburgh. Maybe their receivers start catching the ball. Tennessee has been very hot or cold. In the games that they've done well, in the games that they've gotten victories, um, they've been kind of these close, eke-it-out victories. 
But then when they've lost, some of the games they've been like really bad. Like you look at the Browns game, and part of that is Ryan Tannehill. I think is just really bad right now. Baltimore's got a good defense. I think they're going to bury them on that end of the field. Uh, Derrick Henry's maybe started to slow down a bit, and I think Baltimore has a much better offensive game after some of the shortcomings that they did show in uh, the, the last game against the Steelers. So give me Baltimore minus four. Seattle is going on the road against Cincinnati Bengals. These Bengals are giving up two and a half points. We're both taking Cincinnati. Uh, I will echo, well, I guess I'll, I'll just try to say what Nick would probably say here, which is that I'm telling you Cincinnati is going to be a playoff team and all the, the early season woes are going to be for naught. So I'm guessing that's why he's going to Cincinnati. Uh, I just think tough place, Seattle traveling on the road all the way over to uh, Ohio to take on the Bengals here. And uh, I, I still am not fully in on the idea that Cincinnati – is figuring it out necessarily. I mean, they just beat the Cardinals. I do kind of have them winning this game. I think they get through it. But then after this, they have like the Bills and the 49ers. They could just get knocked back down to where they kind of were before. So if they lose this game, I think they're in serious trouble. I will pick them to win it, though. Indianapolis is at Jacksonville. The Jags are giving up four points. Nick's going to go with Jacksonville. I'm going to actually go with Indianapolis. Now, no uh, Anthony Richardson in this game after the injury. Gardner Minshew's done well as a backup so far this year and coming in for relief. Plus, this is a Gardner Minshew revenge game against Jacksonville, and they're getting four points. Jacksonville has run the football well. Now you got Jonathan Taylor. Zach Moss has been playing good football. And uh, this was a game that happened in week one, and, and Jacksonville won by 10 points. I think Indianapolis plays them closer. Plus, Jacksonville just spent two weeks in London. Now they're coming back home. They haven't played as well at home like when it's actually been in Jacksonville. I think Indy keeps it close. Give me them with the four points. Detroit is minus three. They're playing at Tampa Bay. Uh, we're both going with Detroit, so I guess opposite of what Lee is doing from earlier. I would probably trust him more than me. I have not done well, but uh, I'm going to go with the Lions minus three. I think it's just kind of a coin flip game. I think the Lions are a bit better of a team, and, and I trust Jared Goff more than Baker Mayfield. Sounds like a weird sentence to say if I would have said that like two, three years ago. Uh, anyway, though, uh, the Lions minus three. Uh, Monday Night Football is Dallas minus two points. They are on the road against the L.A. Chargers. Nick is going to go with the Cowboys bouncing back from the 49ers game. And on one hand, I, I can see the case that, you know, Dallas is going to be chomping at the bit. Um, honestly, probably going to be more Cowboys fans than Chargers fans in attendance at that game in L.A. But I think the Chargers have slowly started to figure some things out. I guess Kellen Moore revenge game in this one with, with the offensive coordinator here. Uh, I, I think the Chargers, Justin Herbert tends to do well when he's on the big stage. I think the Chargers win this game outright. Give me them with the two points. And finally, our locks of the week. We are both two and three on our locks in the NFL. Um, Nick is going to go with the Texans, plus two points against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I can only imagine he's a believer in C.J. Stroud and uh, wants to fade Derek Carr. I'm going to go with Minnesota minus three at Chicago. I don't think the Vikings are a real one and four team. I think they're more to being like kind of a league average team. And these are the games that I think they'll come back to win to get closer to that. Um, I'm a little worried that they could win another close game because they tend to win those close games, that they win the game by one or two and they don't cover the spread. I do feel good that they win, though. Chicago coming off their first win. What are the odds this Chicago team, who I still think is really bad, wins back-to-back -back games? I don't know. I don't feel great about that. So uh, I'm going to take the Vikings minus three on the road at the Chicago Bears. All right, that's our game picks for the week. We still have our KU game picks to get to, our KU football and Oklahoma State players to watch in this game. We'll get to that coming up on the other side, and we've got some more uh, KU football audio from the offensive side of the football field coming up later in the 5 o'clock hour. we got the City Showdown coming at you tonight between Free State and Lawrence High at 7, 
Pre-game will start at 6.45 right here on KLWN. You can also watch our video stream paired up with our radio broadcast on KLWN.com. Or if you have a smart TV with the YouTube app, you can uh, pull it up there with our Great Plains Media YouTube page. Or just, uh, I guess, search Free State at Lawrence High and look for uh, Great Plains Media on that. And you can watch the game on your TV at home. Uh, All right, two hours down, one to go. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. Five o'clock hour here. We have the City Showdown coming at you at seven o'clock. Pre-game 645 over at Free State High School between Lawrence High at Free State High School. Should be a fun one. Seven o'clock, pre-game 645 on KLWN and on our video stream at KLWN.com, which you can also pull up if you have a smart TV on your YouTube feed. Um, so we'll get to some more KU offensive uh, audio coming up in our next segment from Andy Kotelnicki, the offense coordinator, Daniel Hyshaw, Mike Nowitzki, Dylan McDuffie, all that to come here. Uh, first, got to get to our KU football players to watch. We'll also get to our Oklahoma State players to watch and our KU game picks in this one. Let's start with the uh, players to watch in this one. I'm going to pick two since Nick's not here for all of these, so uh, I'll just be, I guess, picking for him. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball for KU, the first one's got to be Jason Bean. I talked earlier in the show. Jason Bean probably had the worst start of his KU career at Oklahoma State in 2021. He might have had the best start of his career last year in Lawrence against Oklahoma State. And uh, obviously, the the second one probably more reflective of both him and what's around him now and, and the offense and everything that has developed than, you know, what Kansas was back in, in the start in Stillwater in 2021. And also probably more reflective of what Oklahoma State is than, you know, what they are, uh, what they are now. Or, or than what they were in 2021. And uh, I think of this game, as much as KU has shown the running game to be a strength, that I st- think they'll always be able to carry that to a certain extent and still have a solid enough running game. Oklahoma State saw what happened last week. They're not going to let Kansas go for 399 on the ground again. So there's going to be a lot more on the shoulders of Jason Bean in this game. By the way, on DraftKings, you can get Jason Bean 11-1 to 1 odds to throw for 250 or more passing yards. I think uh, 225 or more is like plus 500. I don't know. Maybe, maybe again, he has like 150 yards. Maybe it's a little more than last game, and they, they still run the ball a bunch. But I think in a game like this, he's going to have to throw the ball more. And, and I think Oklahoma State's going to make him do that, and it's going to be on him to be efficient passing the football. Uh, so, you know, to a certain extent, the quarterback always so important, but I think that'll be the case in this one. Daniel Highshaw is my other player to watch in this one. Just had an awesome game against UCF. He's been fantastic this year running the football and a power runner. Uh, he's got to hold on to the football. Oklahoma State opportunistic last week with the three turnovers. This is the type of game that uh, they're going to be trying to rip the ball away, certainly from you. But he is such a talented back, and he's from the state of Oklahoma. So for him, this is going to be kind of a a dream come true, I think he said in the audio that we'll play for you here coming up, about getting to play in that stadium because he was, uh, I think, injured the last two times that they, or or I guess the last time they played there uh, down in Stillwater, he was injured in 2021. And then obviously last year in Lawrence, even though he was injured for that too. Uh, but Daniel Hyshaw can have himself a big game, and, and that's part of KU running the football well. The Oklahoma State linebackers have some pretty good numbers and can be disruptive, but some of the, the pro football focus grades a little inconsistent from that second level of the field. Uh, over to the Oklahoma State defense, though, I got Nathan Latu. He is one of their defensive linemen. Three tackles for loss, two sacks. Oklahoma State has a pretty good defensive line, 10th in the country on pro football focus and in, in uh, pass rush grades, so they can get after you. My other defensive player to watch for Oklahoma State is one of their linebackers, Colin Oliver. Again, maybe maybe up and down a little inconsistent, but he's very talented at the high end. He was the former Big 12 Freshman Defender of the Year at the linebacker position. He has 28 tackles this year, five tackles for loss, one sack, 
three pass breakups, and two forced fumbles. Does a little bit of everything. He makes big plays for this defense. And whether it's Devin Neal, Daniel Highshaw matching up against those linebackers, that'll certainly be uh, critical in this game. On the KU defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Austin Booker as the first one. Oklahoma State has struggled more on the left side of the offensive line. Their left tackle has a sub-50 pro football focus grade. Booker's been excellent. He has, I think, nine pressures over the last three weeks combined and, and is racking up sack totals. Uh, he could have another big game in this one against Alan Bowman, who's not the most mobile quarterback in the world. And then Taiwan Berryhill is the other one, coming off uh, arguably his best game of the year. He had uh, big tackle totals, had a couple big plays for the KU defense last week. Maybe he's turning the corner on the injury, and they certainly need him to continue that because Ollie Gordon is coming off of uh, a couple straight 100-yard rushing games for Oklahoma State. He's a big running back. you got to be able to bring him down at that second level. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard for defensive backs to bring down a guy who is kind of a bowling ball-style running back. That brings us to the Oklahoma State offense, and let's go to Ollie Gordon. Gordon, the running back, in his first three games of the season for Oklahoma State. He had 19 carries for 109 yards. So he was he was only getting about six carries a game through the first three games of the year. You know, you're only getting like 35 rushing yards a game. The last two games he has found his footing in the same way that they've settled on Allen Bowman now as opposed to rotating three quarterbacks. They've settled on Ollie Gordon, too, a running back. And over the last two games, Ollie Gordon has 39 carries for 257 yards and a touchdown. And that is the avenue for KU losing this game. If the run defense gets run over, he has 150 rushing yards, they stay on the field, they keep it away from your offense, you have a turnover or two, and they just grind you into a pulp. That's what you have to avoid, and Otley Gordon is the player to watch for the Oklahoma State offense. Now, I'm going to go with Brennan Presley. Uh, I, I said Nick's not here, and I'm picking for him, but this is one I think he might have picked anyway. He mentioned it the other day. Presley's a really talented receiver. You might see him uh, on some special teams return. He, he's good uh, with the ball in his hands. 19 catches, 138 yards, two touchdowns. So numbers that don't, don't jump off the page so far. Last week, though, picked it up a little bit. Four catches for 40 yards. He can certainly make guys miss. And at times over the last couple of years, KU has struggled against screen passes. Presley is somebody who can make you miss on a screen pass and take it to the house. X factor in this one, turnovers. Uh, you have to avoid them in this game. I think Kansas can actually win this game being minus one in turnovers. I think where you come into issue is if it's minus two or more. And if it's even or it's plus, I would feel great about Kansas winning this game because I kind of think they're the better team. I kind of think they have the better players overall. Um, but Oklahoma State opportunistic. KU with a backup quarterback. KU playing on, a, on the road in a hostile environment. It's very possible that those turnovers happen, and that's how Oklahoma State wins the game. The other X factor in this one, which defense stops the run better? You know, Ollie Gordon, I, I mentioned him. He's been really good and for KU. Can you slow down the running game? Lance Leipold era, 10-0 when you hold opponents to 4.5 yards per carry or less. But Oklahoma State's going to be trying to stop the run of Kansas too. And Kansas could have 170 rushing yards where you feel like, okay, they had a pretty good game. But if Oklahoma State runs for 220 and turns what could have been a weakness coming into this game into actually an advantage for them, that's a problem as well. So those are my X factors for the game in this one. As far as the KU game picks, Nick is 5-7 and seven on the year. I am 4-8. and eight. The official line is Kansas minus three. Nick is going to go with Kansas. I have been flip-flopping on this all morning, all day. Because on one hand, it does worry me that you go on the road in a hostile environment and you have two or three turnovers and Oklahoma State steals one away. It does worry me that Ollie Gordon is going to run over this KU defense and they're going to hold on to the football. But also, like I say, if, if I put this game out on paper... Kansas is the better football team. Now, the better football team 
doesn't always win games. They lose games all the time, right? And that's what you're kind of running into here. But I guess I should just pick the team I think is the slightly better football team. And for that reason, I'm going to take Kansas minus the three points. The over-under is 56 in this one. Nick's going with the over. I'm going to go with the under. Um, Oklahoma State's only averaging about 23 points per game so far this year. Let's say they get 24. Let's say Kansas gets 27, 28. That would end up under. Um, Oklahoma State will at times run hurry up. Kansas wants to be more possession. But if this is a game all about the running attack, maybe it is a lower possession game, and maybe we do end up uh, with the under in that regard for the two teams. All right, we're going to take a time out. We have a bunch of uh, KU football player audio, coach audio coming at you next. Again, you can hear the Kansas football game on Saturday right here on your original home for the Hawks with KLWN. The pregame coverage for the Crimson and Blue Show will start at 1 o'clock. Kickoff is scheduled for 2.30. You can also hear coverage starting at 2 with kickoff at 2.30 over on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We have the uh, high school football city showdown between Laurentai and Free State tonight. That'll start pregame at 6.45, kickoff at 7 over at Free State High School. I'll be on the call with Craig Hershiser. More RCST after this time out in the action. Derek Johnson flying solo today on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.